How great to be together. Are you excited to be here today? Yes. Good. It's so great. Okay, introverts, introverts, I have something special for you today. You're thinking he's going to put an end to the greeting time finally once and for all. No, no, it's the next best thing, introverts. I have today for you questions that you can use during the greeting time to make it less awkward. <gasps> okay. This comes from last week when David Brandon and his wife, Kaylin, shared, and David said, I'm an introvert, so I bring these questions, right? I thought, what a great idea. So I found a little game called Table Topics. There are all these little awesome questions, and why don't you write one of these down and start, it's get, it gets awkward on Sunday. There you are. You're in a moment, and you think, I need a question. What should I ask? Here's a question you could ask. What is the best excuse you've found when you get pulled over for speeding. <gasps> That'll make it less awkward, right? Okay, here we go. What posters did you have in your room when you were young? Be honest. That'll make it less awkward. All right, here's a good one. These are gonna get good. Which fabulously impractical car would you like to own? Mmm, I like that. If you could choose between being the worst player on a winning team or the best player on a losing team, what would you choose? You're like, why can't it be both? Okay, here's deeply philosophical. Think about this. Would you like to be the pr proudest of your accomplishments or of your character? Mmm, that'll make a nice greeting time, won't it? Good, all right. Well, hey, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or somewhere in the middle, one thing we all love to do is get in the Word. Amen. We're here to be in the Word. That's what we do at River West. Will you pull out your Bible with me today? If you don't have a Bible, ushers are coming down the aisle right now. You'll want your own Bible. If you're a guest or a visitor or new or you just don't own a Bible, this Bible is our gift to you. And I'm really excited today on the Second Connect Sunday because we're back to our study in Luke. And... It's been a long time coming. We were in Luke all of last year, and today we return to our study in Luke. So we'll go to Luke chapter 9. Will you turn when you get that Bible? Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And while you're turning there, I want to share with you an idea that I want you to think about today. This little statement I'm about to share will help you understand not just the sermon today, but actually everything we're going to do in Luke over the next 10 months together. And the statement is this. In the Bible, God often teaches his most valuable lessons while his people are on a journey. I just think about that for a minute. Isn't that true? If you've read the Bible or you're, you've been on the church, you know, it always seems like God is inviting his people out onto an epic journey. Some kind of journey. And it, and it seems as though there's a purpose for a journey for the people of God. God will invite the people out. He'll ask them to step out in faith. He'll lead them. And he has a mission for them. He has a purpose to shape his community. And often God's most valuable lessons are being taught while his people are traveling, journeying, following him, responding to his leadership. So you go to Genesis 12, and there's God, and he invites Abraham, 
And he says, Abraham, leave your home country, leave your kindred, leave your family, leave your father's home and follow me to a place that I will show you. He said, Abraham, leave home and I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. This is a, a journey into the unknown. You're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to look to me for leadership, but I will guide you. Amazing. You learn a lot when you're following God on a journey. Or the book of Exodus, which most of the book of Exodus is this epic journey, the people of God being led in the wilderness by the, by the presence of God, the Shekinah glory. There he is, God leading the people in the wilderness for 40 years. They're wandering, but God has a purpose for them. He's shaping them. They're learning how to trust God for their identity. Who are we as a people, God? Learning, what does it mean to follow you? Learning to seek God for his provision. Amazing. Sometimes the things we most need to learn, we'll learn as God leads us on a journey. And what happens when you turn the page on a new unit we'll look at over the next year, starting in Luke 9, verse 51, as we, we discover that once again, the people of God, the new people of God, Jesus and his disciples, the new community of Christ, they're being invited out on an epic journey. What will they learn together? What will we learn? A lot, I think. Will you look at it with me? Luke 9, I'll pick up in verse 51. Here's what happened next. When the days drew near for him, that is Jesus, to be called up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people of that village did not receive him. Why? Because his face was set towards Jerusalem. With verse 51, Luke begins a new unit in the gospel. It's a unit that will stretch all the way until chapter 19, verse 44. It's the largest unit. We've already studied the first unit, which was the infancy narrative. That was verse chapters 1 through 3. That was last fall. Then we studied Jesus's ministry in Galilee. That was chapters 4 through 9. And now we turn the page on a new unit, starting in verse 51, stretches all the way to chapter 19. And in this unit, there's this interesting little phrase that Luke repeats twice. Did you see it there in 51 and 53? That gives us the keynote for understanding the whole unit. Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Something about Jesus has changed. You get to Luke 9, you turn to verse 51, and you discover, wait a minute. Something about Jesus' disposition is different. He's focused on something. He's set his face on something. That Hebrew expression, it, to set your face, it, it means resolve. It means you're committed. It means you're on a mission. A person who has set their face, that person is not going to be distracted from the goal, that person saying, it's my way or the highway. Okay. This is Jesus. Have you ever been around somebody who their face is set? You just know they are, they are resolved. Nothing is going to stop them. I, I see that face on Sunday morning when I'm standing in the foyer in between the front door and the coffee station, okay? And I see that look on your face. You're like, Pastor, I love you, but get out of my way. 
All right, I've got my face set. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. He's going to Jerusalem. No matter what, he will get there. Even though Jesus knows that what awaits him there is the final conflict, the resolution of his entire mission, he knows that's what awaits me in Jerusalem. And yet he says, no, I'm setting my face. And not only that, he says to his followers, will you go with me? Will you go with me? Amazing. So the next 10 chapters, we're going to see Jesus constantly on the move, constantly set, focused, leading. Many scholars have called this unit the travel narrative or the journey to Jerusalem. We'll see Jesus on a journey. And one of the ways that Luke reminds us of this journey is through the constant repetition of a word that you're going to notice over the next 10 months. You'll see it all the time. It's a word that Luke in this book uses to describe the journey that Jesus is on, but then it's a word that Luke takes, and in the book of Acts, he uses it as a title, a word to describe the church, the people of God. And some of you are already guessing what that word is. You're, you're saying it to your spouse. It's the word way. The way. Now, let me show you. Let me take you on a tour. Look back at your Bible. I want to show you how often this word shows up. In the Gospels, it's, it's the way of Jesus, his journey. And then when you turn the page on the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, it becomes a word that describes the people of God. How interesting. The way. Look at Luke, verse 9. I left off at verse 53. Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to this village. And then what happens in verse 54? The people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. I lied. That was 53. That was my only lie for the day. Okay, here's 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Hello, that got intense really fast. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Okay. And, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the way. Okay, this is my one quibble with the ESV. That should not be the word road. It's not the word road in the Greek. It's the word way. It's the word way. Jesus has a way that he's going along. Take that word road in your Bible and just scratch it out right on a Bible. It's, a, it's very therapeutic. All right? And put the word way. Or here's... here's Chapter 13, verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Or chapter 13, verse 33. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Or chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Jesus has a way. There's a way that he must go. He's set his face. And then you leave the Gospel of Luke and you go to Acts, which we turn there for just a minute. Turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Suddenly Luke takes that very word and he uses it in a different way. It's fascinating. 
Acts 9, verse 1, the story of the calling of the Apostle Paul, who was named Saul. He was a persecutor of the church. Look what happens. Acts 9, verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Really interesting. You get to the book of Acts and people outside the church, when they look into the church, the the title that they used to describe the people of God, this community of followers, the word that they used was the title, the way. This was the title the church used to describe itself. The, The very first believers, when they thought of their identity, the word that they used to describe themselves, you'll see it, you'd see it all through the book of Acts is, the way. So interesting. We need to slow down and, and stop and say, who are we? What does it mean to be the people of God? The early church said it means that we're the way. It, it, it infers movement. It, it implies direction. It's, it's a community that's going somewhere. Progress towards a mission or a purpose. Amazing, very profound. Over the next 10 months, we're going to study Jesus and his journey in Luke's gospel. But as we trace the journey of Christ, one of the things that's going to happen, River West, is we're going to discover something about our identity as a church. What does it mean to be a church? What is the church? You say, maybe you're new, you're visiting, you've, you know, what have I walked into? Here's what you've walked into. The church is a community on the way with Jesus. Interesting. The church is a community of constant response, responding to Christ, his leadership, his directions, his guidance. It's a family, a a group of believers who are committed to one another, but even more than that, they're committed as a community to constantly look up to their leader and say, Jesus, where are you asking us to go next? Isn't that wonderful? Amazing, amazing. The church is not a building. Many of you know that. The church is not a building. It's not a structure, right? But also, the church is not an institution, It's not static, it's not stale, it's not stuck, right? You hear people say all the time when they think of the church as an institution, have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I'm I'm spiritual, but I I don't like organized religion, you know? Have you ever heard that? I don't like organized religion. You know what we say to that? We say, "We we don't like organized religion either, which is why we work so hard here to be really disorganized. All right? So, like, if you don't like organized religion, this is your jam, okay? Welcome to River West, all right? The church is not an institution. The church is a way. That's different. The church is not a brand. It's not about a brand. We're not building something around a brand that people might, unless that brand has to do with Jesus, A couple years ago, I sat in a room with a bunch of pastors and leaders, and this really dynamic leader got up, and he said, pastors, let me tell you something. Your brand is everything. He said that. 
Your, don't kid yourselves. Your brand is everything. And I kept going, where's the punchline? When's he getting the punchline? He ne- and I looked around the room and all these people were nodding. And I was like, uh, is this open for discussion? <laughs> okay. Because the church is not about a brand unless that brand is Jesus. The church is not about one leader. It's not a cult of personality unless that personality is Jesus. Amen. The church is not about one individual leader. The church is not an institution. It's not about a brand. The church, brothers and sisters, the church is a family of followers who are constantly looking up to our leader to say, Jesus, where are we going next? That's different. That's what Luke wants to show us. This is why at River West, we're always asking the question, Jesus, what next? What are we supposed to do next? We don't want to get out in front of you. We don't want to get off, right? This is why at River West, we pray constantly. If you are new and you're joining us, one of the things you're going to discover, we're praying all the time, praying after the service, praying in small groups. I'll I'll never forget my first elder meeting. There I was with all these leaders, Pastor Guy Gray, our founding pastor, Amazing. Now he's on our preaching team and he, he serves us in overseas. But there he was leading the meeting and they would come to a really important decision or topic and they would talk about it for five, ten minutes and then Pastor Guy would say, okay, let's stop and pray. And then, I mean, men would go to their knees. I mean, they'd pray for 30 minutes just over throughout the whole meeting. They, they talked for an hour and they prayed for three and I thought, how do these people get anything done here, you know? But I learned something. You'll get way more done in three hours of prayer than you will in four hours of talking to each other. Amen? Because the church is a way. Following a supernatural leader. There is nothing more tragic that could happen to a church than for that church to lose its way. To lose its way. Many of you have come from churches that lost their way. And of course, what we mean by that is, and the church can lose its way globally. The, the, the American church could lose its way. The evangelical church could lose its way if it stops following Jesus and tries to grab for power or get overly political or overly aligned anywhere other than Jesus. The church can lose its way. Amen, brothers and sisters? And a local church can lose its way, which is why... What we want to do when we gather is open our Bibles and say, Luke, show us the way of Jesus. What is this journey we're going on together? So you say, what is the way of Jesus? It's a metaphor, of course, it's a metaphor. But Luke wants to be really practical. So will you look back at your Bible? Here's what's going to happen. Luke is going to show us three things about the way of Jesus. And you're going to need all three of these if you're going to understand what happens over the next 10 months. So take these with you. Write them down. Think about them. Okay? Number one thing Luke wants us to see. The way of Jesus is the way of a cross. That is the way of Jesus. That's the meaning of Jerusalem, of course. We know this. We know that when Luke Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, what he means is that Jesus set his face to go to the cross because Jesus knew, in Jerusalem, I will complete my mission, and that will involve suffering, humiliation, 
torture, death on a cross, and resurrection to new life. He knew it. He had been preparing his disciples for it. Remember last spring, we, how many times in, in chapter 9 did we see Jesus teaching his disciples, saying, I need you to understand something. Something is happening in just a little while. I'll be turned over to wicked people. I will be tortured. I will die. But on the third day, I will rise again. And it will happen in Jerusalem. Jesus, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Remember we studied this? Who meets him there? Moses and Elijah. And they, and they say to Jesus, it's almost time for your departure, your exodus, when you leave this world, and that will have to happen for you in Jerusalem. And then we get to verse 51, where Luke tells us that when the day drew near for him to be taken up, what did Jesus do? He knew, okay, the day has come. God is going to fulfill his purpose. And he set his face to go knowing this way, this journey, Jerusalem, this is the way of the cross. Every step now on this journey happens in the shadow of the cross. Amazing. And Jesus says, not only that, but my people, my community, I'm calling you to go with me. This is not just my way. This is your way. What does it mean to be people of that way? What does it mean to be people of the cross? You ever thought about that? What does it mean? Is it just about a, a is it about a physical object, a, a piece of, two pieces of wood that are held together? What does it mean to be people of the way of the cross? Last year, right before Easter, we made some changes in the sanctuary and we didn't tell anyone we were going to do this. And some of you, some of you noticed this and you were agitated because some people don't like change, okay? But here's what we did. We took down the cross that was right there in the middle and, and, and we didn't tell anyone we were doing it. And many of you didn't even notice that, did you? And we, we took that cross down and we, and we did some beautifying. We put up new sound panels. And then what we did is we had a new cross built, which is this cross right over here. And what we did on Good Friday, you'll remember, is we put, first we put that cross right in the middle of the room. And then as a church, we gathered around that cross and it was powerful and it reminded us we're people of the cross. But it was great because I did have a few of you come and say, um, Pastor, I noticed something about the sanctuary. Um, you've taken down the cross, and I just want to know, are we going to stop preaching about Christ crucified here <laughs> or something? And it was great. I want you to know this was amazing because I had conversations with people in our church who came from other churches that had jettisoned the gospel, given up preaching the cross, given up talking about Christ and him crucified. And when that cross came down, they were triggered, okay? And it was wonderful. But what does it mean to be cross-centered? Is it just about a physical object? No, we know this. It's more than just having a cross in your sanctuary or a cross on the top of your building. When Jesus invites his people on the way of the cross, it's, he's talking about something about the heart of God. The cross tells us about God's heart. It tells us about God's core values. If you're a people of the cross, it means you understand something about humility and self-sacrifice. To be people of the cross means to understand something about power 
in our world. The way the world uses power versus the way God uses power through sacrifice and humility. Amazing. And then Jesus says, now I want to take you on that journey. I need you to learn the way of the cross. So you know what's amazing? From now on, all the way to chapter 19, what we're going to see in, from Jesus is a lot of teaching. Teaching, parables. We won't see very many miracles anymore. There were miracles in Galilee. In fact, the whole unit before was all about miracles and Jesus displaying his authority. And then you get to 9, verse 51, and suddenly this is Jesus the sage, Jesus the teacher. And what is he teaching about? He's teaching about the way of the cross. Why? Because he knows we need to learn that way as a church. Amen? We're going to learn that way. That's the first thing. The way of, the, of Jesus is the way of a cross. Here's the second thing. Write this down. The way of Jesus is the way of love. It's the way of love. True love, as God defines it. This is the lesson of the Samaritans, okay? And that crazy suggestion of James and John, hey, Lord, would you like us to call down fire from heaven? Okay, that is not the way of love. I'm just going to tip my hand. That's not the way of love. Their faith was amazing, uh, but it was not very loving. Interesting, when Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, where was the very first place that he went? He went to a village of outsiders. Outsiders. Why? Because his way is a way of love. Samaritans, know anything about them? Hated by the Jews. The ultimate outsiders. The Jews and the Samaritans were arch enemies. The Jews viewed them to be defectors of the people of God. They had intermarried with other groups around them. They had betrayed the people of God. If you were a Jew traveling in the north from Galilee down to Jerusalem, you would go out of your way to avoid Samaria, a little region right in the middle. I have a map just so you can see this. There's the Sea of Galilee up at the top where Jesus was born, and most of what we did last year was up there. Now Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, which is right there by Judea, and right in the middle is Samaria, and, and most Jews would go around. This is actually a lot like the Willamette Valley, so if I was leaving Portland and I wanted to go to Eugene, but I wanted to avoid Albany, okay? <laughs> did he just compare Albany to the Samaritans? I did. But I could have said Corvallis, but I didn't say that because it's the way of love. Anyway, I could, I could, I could go around. I could leave Portland. I could go to Mount Hood and down through Bend and then come back over to Eugene. I could. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus set his face to Jerusalem and stop number one was Albany. Yes, it was a village of Samaritans. Why? Because Jesus wants to teach his disciples about a new way. I guarantee you the disciples were going, where are, we, what are we, where are we going? Now, isn't it interesting, why did the people in that village reject Jesus? Look at your Bible. Look at verse 54, 53 and 54. They rejected him. Why? Because his face was set towards Jerusalem. There's something here. 
in our world, in our culture, there's always going to be resistance to the way of Jesus. Always. If you are aligned with Christ, if you love Christ, if you believe in the gospel, the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, you will experience rejection. You will experience resistance. It's a part of following Jesus. The question is not, will you experience rejection or resistance? The question is, how will you respond? Will you respond like James and John? Isn't it interesting? The Samaritans rejected Jesus, but who got the rebuke? James and John did. Interesting. Jesus is like, don't you realize that rejection? That is precisely why I'm going to Jerusalem. I have to die for that rejection. My way is a way of love. The most powerful story I've ever heard about the way of love in my life is the story of Corey Ten Boom. Many of you know Corey Ten Boom, an amazing woman of God. She lived during the Nazi Germany whole history. In fact, she suffered for many years in a concentration camp. Corey Ten Boom watched her own sister die in one of these concentration camps. And in her autobiography, she describes this, the horrific treatment, the, the psychological abuse, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse that they experienced at the hand of guards and soldiers. They, they would intentionally allow lice to grow on their bodies, hoping it would prevent them from being targets of abuse and molestation. Amazing. And then she watched her sister die right before the war ended. And after the war, Corrie Ten Boom, who was a devout follower of Christ, she went on a tour of Germany and she shared her story and she taught these messages of gospel, grace, and love and forgiveness. And she would go throughout Germany. Her goal was to help Germany experience reconciliation after the war. And the story is that one day she was giving her testimony in this one community and she was talking about forgiveness and love, the grace of the gospel. And at the end of the night, a gentleman came walking down the aisle to see her and she immediately had this horrific flash. It was one of the worst guards that she suffered under. And here he came. And he walked up and she froze. And he said, you don't know me? Of course she did. And he, and, and he said, and I don't know you, but I, I was one of those guards and God saved me after the war and I experienced his grace and I just felt like I needed to come up and I needed to ask you for your forgiveness. Can you imagine that? What was she thinking? God, will you call down fire from heaven, please? <laughs> right? We think that. We experience rejection, resistance. What, what would you experience? How do you respond? Now, Corey tells that in that moment, she could not do it. She was like, God, I can't do it. And she felt the Spirit say, all I'm asking you to do right now is hold out your hand and I will take care of the rest. You just obey me, lift your hand. She lifted her hand. Her heart was not there yet. She grabbed his hand and she said, I forgive you. And in, in an instant, she was flooded with a new understanding of the love of the gospel, the grace of the gospel. Why? Because the way of Jesus is a way of love. It's a way of love towards outsiders. What will happen when we study Luke 
is that the people are going to wander with Jesus for a while because they have so much to learn about the way of love. And Jesus will tell them stories that involve Samaritans. It's very interesting. Do you know that in the Gospel of Luke, Luke is the only gospel that has the parable of the good Samaritan. Luke's gospel. Luke is the only gospel writer who tells a story of 10 lepers who get healed and nine of them walk off without any form of gratitude except for one who comes back, falls on his knees before Jesus and cries out, thank you. And then Luke tells us, oh, and that one leper was a Samaritan. Amazing. Because Jesus knows, I need you to learn my way towards outsiders. It's a way of love. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of love. And then just one more, and this will just take a minute. The way of Jesus is also a way of great cost. Great cost. In fact, it will cost you everything, but let me tell you something. It will cost you everything, but you'll begin to realize everything was worth it. Everything was worth it. It didn't feel like a loss. It felt like an investment on an eternal future. That's what happens last. We didn't read it yet. We look now back to Luke. And let me read out our text for today, verses 57 to 62. Here's what happens. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, follow me. And that person said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say well to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Really intense. Whoa. You read it and you go, what does this mean? Is Jesus saying that in order to follow him, you have to become a nomad? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Is that what Jesus means? We, we, we give up on, on, on home, or does it mean becoming homeless, nomadic? Probably not. But Jesus probably is saying that if in your life, if you worship security and comfort and convenience more than you worship Jesus, you've already chosen, right? Is Jesus saying, ah, oh, this is intense. I, does this mean that in order to follow you, I have to abandon my family, abandon my, my, my cultural expectations, my responsibilities. Is that what Jesus means when he tells a man, don't go home and bury your father or don't go say goodbye to mom and dad and brother and sister? Is Jesus saying all of my relationships in this life are now abandoned? Probably not. But he might be saying, if you worship any earthly relationship or expectation or cultural norm more than you worship Jesus, you've already made your choice. That's what it means when he says, "Don't." once you put your hand to the plow, you can't look back. Have you ever been driving and you look back? What happens? You veer. You, you just begin to veer. 
It's powerful imagery. I think what Jesus is doing here, it's actually not intense. It's actually super encouraging and it makes so much sense. He's, all Jesus is saying is, if it were to come to a choice between the things of this world and me, what would you choose? What would you choose? Be honest. If you, were to ma- if you had to make a choice, if you came to a fork in the road and you had to choose between this life, these things, these earthly relationships and knowing Christ for all eternity, his way, what would you choose? It's so powerful. River West, we're, we're going on a journey together. We have a lot to learn. We need to learn about our own hearts. I heard an illustration that I'll close with that I've shared this before, so for some of you this will be familiar, but it's, we need to hear it again and again and again because it's so profound. And the illustration goes like this. Imagine a string that starts at the end of my podium and it stretches to the corner, goes down to the floor, stretches out the door, down the pathway, that abnormally long pathway in the rain to the church. And then that string goes all the way to the Oregon coast and off into the sunset. And now imagine that your life, your relationships, your things, your job, what you do in your day-to-day is represented by the distance from the center of my podium to the corner and the rest to the ground, out the door, down the path, to the Oregon coast represents eternity with Christ. Which would you choose if you had to make a choice? People would say, it's so clear. Why would I choose? Not that Jesus is going to necessarily ask me to throw all of this away, but what if I'm worshiping this more than I'm worshiping this? And Jesus says, I'm inviting you on a way. And that way is the way of the cross, And that way is a way of love. And that way is a way of giving up anything and everything for me to follow me, to be my people. What an invitation. So beautiful. So we're going on a journey together. The way of Jesus. And I hope you'll join us. Invite friends. Invite neighbors. From now until Easter on any given Sunday, When you come, if you bring a friend or a neighbor, we're going to open the Gospel of Luke and we're going to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Amen? Bring someone. There are people who are supposed to join us along the way. Let's pray about that. Colin will come and lead us in a song. Lord, we're so thankful to be the recipients of your word this morning. Your word is perfect and true and authoritative. Luke did not put together a haphazard account, disorganized. Every word was measured. Every detail was prayed through. He was carried along by your Holy Spirit, Lord, to give us this perfect, infallible account of the life of Jesus. And we want to learn. We want to know Christ. We want to know his way. We want to be his people, his church. Jesus, will you lead us? Help us to be a church that 
constantly asks Jesus, where are you wanting us to go next? We want to go there. Thank you, Lord. Pray these things together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.